Welcome back to Betrayal Trauma SOS, the podcast that helps people struggling with the sex addiction of a loved one discover the support they need to overcome isolation, normalize emotions or lack of emotions, and to find the tools that assist in healing. I'm your host, Jenny Brockbank. Today, we will be discussing why your story matters and how to safely share it. We will end with a meditation at the end. Let's heal together. Before I begin, I need to let you know that this isn't therapy and I'm not a therapist. My thoughts should not be taken for therapy or for professional advice. I'm guessing that some listening to this episode may have been wounded, in particular by sharing their story with someone who wasn't really able to understand or maybe betrayed their trust gave poor advice, or were invalidating. If this is your experience, I can say that I relate. If you feel resistance at the things I'm going to share, working through that with a qualified therapist is likely a good place to start. Why would it be important to tell your story, and who would you dare divulge that information to? Especially if, say, it's your first time telling someone, or if you've been wounded in the past. That's the topic for today. Even if you are experienced in telling your story, I encourage you to keep listening. I too am experienced and recently learned some things about sharing stories that connected some dots for me. I invite you to take a minute and participate in an exercise that I will refer to later. I want you to think of a difficult event that was really hard to go through, but you can talk about it with some ease. Maybe it was a car accident, or a brief hospital experience, or a stressful financial event. Now I invite you to pause this program and share it somehow. You could call someone, or tell the story out loud, or write it down. We will refer to this later, so please pause this episode, share it in your own way, and then come back. Okay, we're back. Let's get into why sharing your story matters and who to share it with. I'll share what I've learned and you in turn get to decide your truth regarding sharing your story and maybe different ways to share that may or may not be new ways to do that. I'll start by sharing a little bit of the beginnings of me sharing my story, which began in the year 2000 when my husband and I were first married. At that time, I spoke to a trusted family member about some of the behaviors I was seeing from my husband. Back then, I had no idea that it was addiction, but explosive anger was distressing. I will just say that sharing with that person backfired in such a strong way that I internalized that experience and decided at that moment that it wasn't safe to share and that I would be misunderstood if I shared what was happening with other people. After all, I thought, I was strong enough, and I had enough faith to do this all on my own. Or so I thought. That was the beginning of 17 and a half years of self-isolation. Fast forward 17 and a half years later, I finally was starting to understand that what I was dealing with was addiction. 
I was scratching my surface of understanding, my reality, and I started to see that sharing without major repercussions really might be a possibility. I primarily began sharing in the addiction recovery program that I began with. While the first meeting was so scary to attend, it was additionally like I was melting with relief. People understood. People got it. People were doing well. Marriages were being saved, while those whose marriages hadn't worked out were doing well too. I knew that I wanted the peace and hope that these people had. The question is, why was it important for me to share? And why might it be important for others to share their stories as well? Why does sharing matter? As I reflected on what to share in this episode, I thought of five main benefits that I experienced from sharing my story with safe people. If you've listened to my other episodes and even my intro, the first three will sound familiar to you. I promise to not stay here too long, but I think they are important to mention. The first benefit is that sharing breaks through isolation. There is power in seeing others thrive who once walked my path of heartbreak. There is strength in hearing, me too. There is hope when others link arms with us in our darkest moments. The most stunning part about recovery to me is that we eventually gain enough strength to find others who are walking their own dark path and link arms with them. We become a force of genuine goodness, looking for the heartbroken and giving them the opportunity to find healing as well. The second benefit that I have noticed was this. Hearing that betrayal trauma was an actual thing and that others were experiencing it was so relieving that I remember ugly crying over learning that. These amazing people normalized what I was going through and didn't try to fix me. They just understood and sat with me in pain. It was the first time that I truly experienced consistent emotional safety. And up to that point, I had no idea what that looked like. So normalizing my experiences turned out to be a priceless gift. The third benefit was that I saw others who had been broken in a state of happiness because they had tools that I needed. So I was able to access and learn about tools because of sharing my story. Number four is that the more I truly understood my story, the more I could both see myself and others. I was much less judgmental and many times more compassionate because I learned how complex my own story is and therefore other people's stories are also complex. I had new eyes that most everyone, including myself, is doing the absolute best that we can. Number five really rang true to me after experiencing some recovery and having some deeper sharing experiences. I learned this from the book the Body Keeps the Score by Bessel van der Kolk. Remember earlier in the program when I asked you to think about a difficult memory that you could share with some ease? We're going to reference that now. I invite you to think about how you were able to portray that memory. For instance, I'll share a memory um, that was hard for me, but that really doesn't haunt me any longer. One of my babies was born with her lungs not fully developed and it caused one of her lungs to collapse. They inserted a sharp object between some ribs, intubated her, life-flighted her to a hospital better equipped to help her, and there we stayed for about five days where she recovered 
and is now a darling, happy, and cheerful little girl. While this event was definitely traumatic, it was not trauma-inducing for me. And there's a difference between trauma and something being traumatic. And sometimes they can go hand in hand. But it can be really important to understand the difference. I can talk about this event with my little girl with some ease. It was hard. It was scary. I didn't know what the outcome would be or if I would get to leave the hospital with my baby. But for me, this wasn't trauma-inducing. It was traumatic, but it's over, and I don't suffer reoccurring issues from it. If your event was not trauma-inducing, but maybe it was traumatic, then it is likely that you too could tell details of your story with some ease. In the book, The Body Keeps the Score, Bessel van der Kolk talks about how trauma makes our memories fragmented. I experienced one of those aha moments when I learned that, and I remember listening to a woman who had experienced many years of good recovery stumble over the details of what she had experienced due to her husband's sex addiction. Now I knew why I would go home after sharing my experience and think, oh, I should have shared this really critical part. But it hadn't even occurred to me. It's taken a lot of practice to share my story in a way that hopefully others understand. I want to say that I referenced the book The Body Keeps the Score a lot, and it taught me some invaluable things, as you've just heard. However, this would not have been a good book for me in early recovery, and there are things in it that I struggle with. I think the main thing that's a bit of a struggle for me is that it paints a picture that's a little too vivid sometimes and can trigger trauma in its own way. I have this boundary with my husband that if he's going to uh, confess something to me, that I do need to know some details. But if it's going to paint a picture, that's too much. So the book, The Body Keeps the Score, sometimes crosses that line for my liking. I don't recommend it until people have a better grasp on trauma and practice with handling triggers, as it can in and of itself be triggering. As I said, though, this was really important information for me to have. Learning that trauma fragments my story helps me see the importance of assembling it back together and why understanding it in new and deeper ways is important. To make sense of my story and how I came to some of my conclusions that weren't always correct has been a gift that I never anticipated. It is way more work and more of a long-term project than I once realized. I've begun seeing my story as a shattered mirror, and the glue to fix it better than its original form is a combination of understanding my story, self-compassion, and God. Side note, this isn't my format for proselytizing, but I'm telling my story and can't keep out what has been my most powerful tool. Just know that if religion isn't your thing, I'm just offering what has worked for me, and you can pick and choose what works for you. I'm not judging your beliefs or telling you that you have to believe as I do. In the Life Star Therapy program that I participated in, there were some critical assignments that helped me understand my story better. One of the big ones that other therapy programs use as well is called a trauma egg, where I drew pictures about the traumatic events in my life and shared them with my group. I couldn't believe the kinds of patterns they saw and pointed out to me. I am still processing, and probably will for years to come, what I learned from the trauma egg. 
Something else that was really helpful for understanding my own story was doing a full disclosure with my husband and our therapist. This was a big, hard, and long process. And when I went into it, people would say, you're so brave. And I would think, no, I'm so excited and grateful to know, and he's finally going to let me in. And can I just tell you that if you're going to do a full disclosure, you are so brave. It was one of the hardest things, and I had no tears for months afterwards. However, from that disclosure, I was able to learn my truth. I was able to learn why things were so hard and why I couldn't break through to my husband for so many years. Also from that, I was able to set better boundaries, way better boundaries, and hold to them in new and more powerful ways, and that totally changed my life. Other therapy assignments also helped me to understand. I think people have a hard time reconciling their faith beliefs with therapy sometimes, and I thought I would share one experience that was really important in this for me. After one particular therapy assignment, I felt denial just totally strip away. I mean, not totally, because I still have denial. It's a wonderful protection sometimes. But this day, it was like I had this security blanket that was just ripped away in brutal fashion. And I had heard my therapist say, honor the pain, you know, really take the time to mourn and to grieve. So I decided that was new and different for me, and I was going to try it. So I was a lump on my couch. I did some basic necessities and things and, and took care of my family in basic ways. But for the most part, I did honor that pain and I did just lay there and grieve. And I have faith in Jesus Christ. And it was as if he held my hand during that time. And after about two weeks, he lifted me out. But it was a really severe grief. It was like 17 and a half years of denial had stripped away in one large, like a big band-aid just ripping off my body. And it hurt so badly. But in that, I found my Savior in a new and different way. In the past, he had wiped my tears and stood me on my feet, and I knew that I could be healed quickly. But this healing was different. It was more thorough. It was deeper, and he was with me the entire time. From that moment on, I started to look for my Savior in other ways of healing. And I realized it's like medicine. He inspires people to create medicine. And he inspires people to learn about and to teach tools as well. Let's move on and talk about who to share with. As I mentioned, I've been unintentionally harmed by sharing with people who just didn't understand. I want to clarify that I do believe that people who, for instance, say invalidating things are generally trying their very best and do not mean harm. I've come to see that if I am unintentionally harmed by a person trying their hardest to help me, that I can love them, but I need a boundary to protect myself from further harm. I'll be honest and say, that the type of people who can cause unintentional harm includes therapists who just lack the training or maybe experience or maybe even deep down understanding, ecclesiastical leaders who just need a little more education, 
Some of you may remember in an earlier episode where I said that my friend had told me about ARP or the Addiction Recovery Program. And I had said I had heard bad things about it. And she said, well, if you find an unhealthy group, go find another one. So that actually happened to me at one point. Um, my original group stayed really good, but I tried to find one that was closer to me. And that one proved to not be um, as healthy. And it caused some trauma unintentionally as well. Friends and family can also unintentionally try to help and and not provide the best support possible just because they don't understand. No one means harm by the things they would say. No one meant harm by the things they would say. And they all wanted the very best for me. I had to learn to have compassion on those whose words were less than helpful and to put in place boundaries with who and what I shared. Here's the question. Because betrayal trauma is widely misunderstood, how do you find those safe people? I'll share a few ideas that were beneficial for me. My good friend who introduced me to recovery talks about being a friend collector. She would go to recovery meetings, and when she could tell that people had good recovery, maybe more recovery than she had, she would ask them for their number. Later, when she was in trauma, she would send out a group text and ask if anyone is available. I learn from this and do something similar. Basically, seek for those ahead of you and see if they might be available to help when you're struggling. Some of my dearest friends I gained by attending group therapy. Everyone has a different recovery fit, but I highly recommend seeking for your tribe in such an environment. One particular friend invited me to walk with her, and I at first said that I was too busy. After all, I had six children, I was homeschooling, I was attending college, I was teaching a choir, and I was doing this group therapy thing that was quite time-consuming. But I kept getting this feeling that I would be turning down a beautiful, beautiful gift. So I decided to take her up on it, and I'm forever grateful and feel that God gave me this friend who let me stand on her shoulders throughout recovery, and even still. A lot of what you hear me say is highly influenced by this dear friend who I continue to learn from. Along the lines of group therapy might be things like 12-step groups like SA Lifeline or perhaps um, an ARP group like I attended. There's also a group and 12-step program called Healing Through Christ. You might find friends and acquaintances and people who really get your story in such environments. Also, I mentioned previously that finding qualified therapy is critical. I hope that you'll trust me on this and do some good research and maybe ask around and consider someone who's um, a therapist and in something like Lifestar or Addo or even a licensed sex addiction therapist. Learn from me and just avoid some heartache up front. It's also expensive to pick a bad therapist. So, so learn from me financially, emotionally, spiritually, that this is worth finding the right fit. And if you find a bad therapist fit, I encourage you to keep looking. It really, really is worth finding the one who can help you heal from this. Ecclesiastical leaders who understand betrayal trauma is really hit and miss. And I don't say that with any condescension. 
If a good deal of therapists don't understand, then there will undoubtedly be many untrained clergy who are likely to not understand as well. Clergy are typically very selfless people trying their hardest with a very complex issue. And betrayal trauma is new even in the therapy world. My recent resolution for finding clergy that I can talk to is to pray about who I can go see and trust God. This has paid off well in the last year and a half or so. So if you're a person of faith, perhaps consider just prayer if that's a good person to talk to or not. I have high hopes that clergy will gain an awareness and that will improve significantly with some education. What gives me hope into this is an experience that I had in a recent area where I lived. They did train their bishops on betrayal trauma. So kudos to the Brigham City, Utah South Stake of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints for implementing this training, which made a significant difference in my life. I'm planning an episode specifically geared towards giving ecclesiastical leaders a better understanding of how to help. It will be compassionate and informative, so if that interests you, be sure to subscribe to this podcast for that future episode. Finally, we've got friends and family. As I mentioned earlier, this can backfire at times. Ashlyn Mitchell of The Betrayed, The Addicted, and The Expert, love that podcast, by the way, says to look for someone who won't give advice or judge. I resonate with that counsel a lot. Something else that might help is to be boundaried with what you share with people. Maybe test the waters a little and just give a small amount of information. Then reassess how safe they are with your story. I have learned that I experience shame if I share with someone who proves to have not been a good fit. From the book Beyond Breath by Soraya Sebastian, I learned the coolest thing, and it is that it can be brave to test the waters and to learn truth. So if you've beaten yourself up mentally for sharing with someone and it turned out to not have been a great experience, maybe you can shift with me into a place of compassion and power that you were actually brave enough to learn your truth and now you can make different decisions because of your newfound understanding. Let's move into the meditation portion. I invite you to close your eyes or soften your gaze. I invite you to focus on your breathing, focusing on a long exhale. Perhaps consider this time to be a gift to yourself. Can you welcome the thought that you are worth this gift of time and love? It is truth, but can you embrace it as your truth? I invite you to focus on the following sentences and see if you believe them. See if they are your truth. Your story is worth understanding. Your story is a part of your being that has shaped and molded you into what you are today. Truly understanding your story can bring compassion to yourself and to others. Just notice, how do you feel about those focus sentences? Do you feel rigid and tight? Do you feel soft? maybe hopeful. Just notice. 
I invite you to again focus on the next few sentences and see if they feel like your truth. No answer is right or wrong. There is someone, or maybe even a group of people, who are safe enough to share your story with. There are people who will not judge you, who will hold you in pain and validate what you are going through. These people are worth finding. God has prepared them to help you through this heartache. I invite you to notice if you felt emotion during these last focus sentences. What is your truth? Can you bravely acknowledge what you feel? No answer is right or wrong. It's just truth. I invite you to thank yourself for accepting the gift of time and love. I am so grateful to have you join me today on Betrayal Trauma SOS. Remember to join me on Facebook to enter to win a Betrayal Trauma SOS first aid kit that includes a luxurious blanket, a scented candle, a lovely stone, and chocolate. I choose that winner May 19th of 2020 and would love for it to be you. Next week's episode of Betrayal Trauma SOS is titled, Marriage Won't Fix an Addiction and Neither Will a Baby. We will explore more about the complexities of addiction and why your spouse or partner's addiction is not your fault. If you enjoyed Betrayal Trauma SOS, please give it five stars so that others can find it more easily. I also look forward to your comments. You can find Betrayal Trauma SOS on Instagram, Facebook, and at BetrayalTraumaSOS.com. Let's heal together.